Welcome everyone to this CNBC special report, Return of the Retail Trader. I'm Dominic Chu. Jim Cramer has the night off. Retail investors stampeding into the stock market yet again. And tonight we've got every angle covered for you. Ahead, you'll hear from a well-known analyst who says one stock in the meme trade is an outright buy. Plus, a former Wall Street better who has a word of warning for the merry memesters. And of course, Jim Cramer himself gives his take on some of the major names that have investors talking. But first, the market's closing out another positive week, marking the first four-week winning streak since the averages peaked back in last September. Now, traders love action. It doesn't matter if they're institutional traders or retail traders, volatility creates opportunity. So a lot of them may be drawn towards this crazy action we've been seeing again in some of these so-called meme stocks. Just look at what happened so far in August, and we're only 10 trading days into it. The OG of meme stocks, GameStop, has already rallied a very impressive 20-plus percent. Now that pales in comparison to what's happened with AMC Entertainment, which has nearly quadrupled GameStop's upside month to date. And I'm not sure how to even describe what's happened with Bed Bath & Beyond. We'll go there because we've got the time. 150-plus percent gains which includes a 40% gain on just August August 8th alone. And by the way, it was at one point north of 60% intraday on that day. Now, a lot of the upside could have to do with the amount of short interest in some of these stocks. In other words, the number of traders who've borrowed shares from someone else to sell them now at some time in the hopes they can buy them back at a lower price in the future to pay back the loans of those shares. They make money when the stock goes down. They benefit when that stock falls. But when the trade goes against them to the upside, they're often sent scurrying to buy at sometimes much higher prices just to limit their downside and their losses, hence driving up the share prices. Now, these three original meme stocks have that in common. A lot of their shares are sold short. According to data from FactSet right now, 18% of AMC Entertainment's shares outstanding are currently borrowed and sold short. It's up to 20% for GameStop shares, and then Bed Bath & Beyond has 36% of its shares outstanding sold short. A lot of people betting against that stock, meaning it could continue to be a roller coaster ride for these stocks and these shares in the coming days and weeks. Now, just today, those three big stocks seeing a lot of movement. AMC Entertainment ultimately ending the day down, but spiking earlier after CEO Adam Aaron tweeted, in regards to the new set of special shares, which will have the ticker, yes, A-P-E, APE. So let's bring in our own Mike Santoli for more on all of that action. And Mike, I got to say, it's been a while, right? I I hearken back to 2021 early on. This is not near that level of clamor, but it's still very impressive what's happened, right? Absolutely. It's more of an echo than it is a straight rerun of that kind of activity. And a lot of it does have to do, you mentioned the the heavily shorted uh, factor. That's absolutely the case. But also it's an amplified version of what's going on in the overall market. Emotion drives a lot of this. And we got this very, you know, pretty climactic low in the overall market in June. A lot of people had exited and especially professional investors were betting against a lot of those names. What does tend to happen in the early part of a rebound rally is the more volatile, the more speculative, 
perhaps lower quality, faster moving stocks like these always tend to lead. So, you know, it was kind of first in and, and first out in terms of the bear market. By the way, down 80 percent, most of them from high to low. Uh, all that being said, I do think there's a general muscle memory out there. Retail investors got locked into the platforms. If you look at how the stocks of the discount brokerage companies have traded so far this quarter, big rebounds. That's Robinhood plus the traditional players, Schwab, uh, as well uh, as um, uh, Robinhood, Schwab, interactive brokers are the main uh, players right there. So big rebounds on that front. I do think it's worth Worth noting, though, that more longer term oriented individual investors did not really exit the market in a comprehensive way. Even on the way down, hedge funds seem to have a lot of the gauges of professional investor sentiment were really on the rocks. But if you look at this chart from Bank of America's private client business, the wealth management business, that shows the equity allocation of that group over time. And you see it did peak at a record high, around 66 percent equities in their portfolios. It's backed off you know, down to about 63%, still high historically. And most of that is because the market went down, not because they cashed in and liquidated their, their stocks and went elsewhere. So there has been a pretty resilient uh, appetite, I guess, among individuals for equities during this phase, Dom. So, so Mike, what's interesting right now is I mean, we're in August, right? And this is seasonably one of those periods where things can get moved around quite a bit with not a lot of ammunition, so to speak, right? But there's a lot of people are on vacation. Uh, oftentimes, the volatility comes on maybe thinner volumes than we would normally suspect. If you take a look at what's been happening for the last couple of weeks now with these meme stocks, is it a contributing factor, that, that the fact that there is maybe not as much overall volume on these exchanges as there currently would be or typically would be, say, in the spring or in the fall or winter? Probably so. Uh, you absolutely have air pockets in the market. Um, I, I do think, too, believe it or not, the, the pattern has been when a lot of people are home and they're not, you know, I mean, I know people are staying home in general, but it used to be a vacation thing. You would see a lot of people uh, flock back in here. I just more view it as a, a real kind of hypercharged version of what's happening in the overall tape. So we're up, what, 17 percent? on the S&P, up more than 20% on the NASDAQ. That's why you get these supersized moves and these leveraged plays, which, again, mostly are operating on news flow and emotion as opposed to, you know, economic linkages or anything like that. Always a driver out there. Mike Santoli, thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. You as well, thanks. All right, let's get a, take a trader's take on whether these stocks can still be touched and how this action is impacting the broader market sentiment, like Mike Santoli just mentioned. We've got Josh Brown, the co-founder and CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Also, Jeff Kilberg, chief investment officer at Sanctuary Wealth. Both, by the way, are CNBC contributors. Uh, Josh, Jeff, thank you guys very much for being here with us. Maybe, uh, Josh, we'll start with you. The scene setter, if you will, for these meme stocks. Does this signify that there's going to be more retail participation, given the fact that we've seen this kind of action in those original meme stock names? Dom, big mistake starting with me. I don't know if Killer's <laughs> going to get in here. Uh, I, listen, I, I, uh, I think that there are two stories to be told about the retail trader and the retail investor. And only one of those stories is the meme stocks, the Robin Hood, uh, the, op the frenetic trading in the options market, which was one of the big features of 2021. And that's obviously a very big story, and it's undeniable. Anytime you have 25 million new brokerage accounts opened up inside of 12 months, people are sitting at home, not that much to do. Um, it's, a, it's, it's like it's Tinder. So we, we witnessed that. But at the same time, 
much less remarked upon and much less noticed because it's it's glacial and it doesn't make for bombastic headlines while it's taking place. Um, in 2021, ETFs took in a record $950 billion. That's a trillion dollars predominantly going into index funds. You know, if you pull out ARK and, and uh, some, of the, some of the leveraged ETFs and some of the more thematic stuff, which is in the aggregate still small, a lot of that money went into BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and into fairly plain vanilla index products. So I don't think it's true that everybody's gambling. And I don't think just because you're retail, you have to act like an ape. Um, but both elements, um, to Michael Santoli's point, bo- both of those groups, and some people are both, uh, have stuck around. The data is, is clear. Uh, they are not people that were scared out of the market because of inflation. Um, they are not people that hang on the Fed's every word. They are people that recognize that the only way to make it in America is to be an equity uh, investor and to own equity in either your own business or other people's businesses. They, they, they have figured out that that is the secret. And once the secret is out, um, they don't so quickly walk away and find something else to do. So I think the retail investor, to say they're back, is a little bit of a, a, a misnomer. They never left. Okay, so Jeff, we, let's, let's assume or let's make the assumption here that Josh Brown has that scene setter correct and that they never left. If equities are the place to be to create wealth over the long term, are there the retail traders out there who would view this resurgence in meme stocks as a long term opportunity? Or do you think many of them are in this because that's where the action is right now? And once things calm down, that they're moving on to something else. Well, Dom, I think Josh did a good job of setting the table for sure. But what's interesting about the retail trader, they're really focusing their attention on this type of volatility. But I think this deja vu in the meme stocks has also attracted some of the hedge fund money out there. You see like Bed Bath & Beyond up nearly 200%. Look at the volume just this week, Dom, 75 million on average per day. If you go back a year or two, you're looking at a million, possibly two million in volume. So that spike in volume speaks to me that traders have come in. And if I go back to my days at the, the Chicago Board of Trade, when markets were moving so fast in the pits, they actually couldn't keep the prices up to date on the board. They put an F on the board for fast market. I think you have to put an F on the board for some of these meme stocks this week because you are seeing spike in volume. You are seeing attraction. And I think Josh was right. I know, Josh, you love when I say you're right. But I think he was right. This is August, and the retail investor really never left. But now I think you have more attention here. And it seems like if you look at every analyst that comes out in downgrades, let's just keep on talking about Bed Bath & Beyond. I think 53% of all analysts who are clearly overpaid I'll talk about this downgrade. Then you continue to see a downgrade come out like we did on Tuesday with Baird, and boom, you see Bed Bath & Beyond move higher. So there's only a 5% buy rating on the stock, but the volatility, sensational. When you talk about being attracted as a trader, if you can use stops and you can understand that this is gonna continue to be a whipsaw, this is where you wanna be in the month of August when you wait to see what the Fed's gonna do next month, when you wait to see what this longer term stock, but this is not a long term play. This is a ton of fun for the day trader, retail or professional. Okay, so Jeff, let hey, me just, Dom, uh, hold on, uh, what, Josh, one, wait, just one, wait one second, Josh. Okay, okay so, so Jeff, it seems to me like you're saying among the AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, and GameStop kind of crew, that, tri- that tribunal, so to speak, right? You're only really positive on the Bed Bath & Beyond story, not so much GameStop and AMC Entertainment. 
Well, it depend on what minute of the day, Dom, right? We're seeing this type of volatility. You have to be very nimble and you have to be willing to cut your losses and establish new positions. But if you're trading these actively as a true trader, you're not taking a position. If you want to look at Bed Bath & Beyond and say just three days ago, the market cap was under 400 million and now it's back above a billion, maybe that takeover component has been taken away. But that's a company that's bleeding cash. They have less than $100 million on hand. They have to do a capital raise. So I am not making a long-term thesis or long-term investment in Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm speaking specifically with my trading hat on, not my chief investment officer hat on. All right. So, so Josh, I'm sorry. Back to you. Well, what I wanted to say, I wanted to say to add on to um, what Jeff said, which I agreed with, um, there is, so I don't know if, I guess a lot of our audience probably saw the movie uh, uh, Ant-Man, uh, Marvel movie, and there's a thing where they, they go into the quantum verse, and in the quantum verse, physics don't apply, and like all the rules of like how things should work are backwards or upside down. I think that's the case when you're talking about sub $5 billion market cap stocks that Great catch the, the interest of, of meme traders in, uh, you know, on message boards. Um, and this is not new. And my, Mike Santoli referred to this as With an echo of 2020. Yeah, of 2021. But that, like we, we had meme stocks in 1997, 1998, when I was a teenager and I first started trading. We had iOmega. It was the first message board darling stock. There were millions of people in America fixated on this little $5 stock that they ran up to $30. Um, it was like a tech stock. It was small. It was easy to manipulate. There wasn't a lot of coverage from Wall Street analysts. Um, and it became a plaything. And it went on for months. Uh, and Herb Greenberg was writing columns about it. So like, that's, tw uh, what is that, 25 years ago? So this is just something that can periodically happen. And the spark could be anything, which is why an analyst covering something like Bed Bath & Beyond using discounted cash flow, it's a joke. The last thing I'll say is there's a degree of what George Soros calls reflexivity in these particular stocks. AMC is a really great example. These stocks can, the, the, the um, enthusiasm for these stocks can create an alternate reality that becomes the actual reality. So in the case of AMC, they were able to sell so much additional stock to the public, which by the way, they're gonna do it again, that they saved the company. This was a zero if it hadn't become a darling of the trade. So the traders who, who got involved with AMC actually are the reason that AMC is not in chapter 11 and, and the stock still exists. So that's a really interesting component as well. So let's say Bed Bath & Beyond is bleeding cash. Sure. I, don't, I don't look at the balance sheet. I'm, I, I assume it is. Um, if they can keep this stock levitating long enough to drop a spot secondary, or do a rights offering or, or, or a pipe or something, they actually can reverse some of the problems plaguing the company and change its very reality. So when you're in an environment like that, it's, it's the quantum verse. Throw out a lot of what you think you know about why stocks go up and down and just accept the fact that traders can assert right. a powerful force that has physical impact in the real world. Quantum verse or multiverse of madness, you can take your pick about what, what, what kind of analogy you want to use in the Marvel universe for that one. But all right, so, so Josh Brown, Jeff Kilberg, we got to leave the conversation there because we've got a lot more views to get to here. Thank you, gentlemen, both very much. Have a great weekend, guys. See you, Doc. All right, don't go anywhere because we are just getting started here on the CNBC special, The Return of the Retail Trader.
Coming up, what do mom and dad want from their stocks? We check the pulse of the retail investor. Plus, Bitcoin in the suburbs? What a crypto surge means for your money. And Jim Cramer with a smackdown of truth on the meme stock market. That and more when we return on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. Retail investors can have their voices heard now more than ever. And our next guest has helped facilitate the votes for 365 million shares on its platform just so far this season. Let's now bring in Tim Gokey, the CEO of Broadridge, a very big fintech company. They do a lot of the things that you don't see that makes the financial markets worth. Tim, thank you very much for joining us here on this special. I I wonder whether or not you can give us your take on just what it means to see the kinds of activity that we've seen in retail markets with these so-called meme stocks and beyond and what it means for financial markets overall. Absolutely. Um, Thank you very much for having me tonight. And uh, yes, Broadridge is a 20 billion market cap global fintech. Uh, We power the critical infrastructure behind governance, investing, and communications. We connect every broker-dealer, asset manager, investor, and public company, and we clear and settle $9 trillion of trades uh, every day. So it does give us a unique vantage point. And one of the things that I think would be interesting to your viewers is there's this sort of uh, activity on the top of the market that we've been talking about, we've been hearing about in the first uh, first segment of the show, but that is built on a, a much broader underlying megatrend around the democratization of investing. And one of the things that we see, one of the ways we actually get paid is by the number of individual positions. If you own one share of IBM or 100 shares, uh, it's one position. And that continues to grow. Uh, over, over a decade, has grown high single digits. But last year, it grew 26%. And the year that ended uh, in June, the 12 months ended June, it grew 18%. And uh, when you look into which positions grew, there are some of those so-called meme stocks, but it's all the positions. And of that 18, the meme stocks only accounted for something like 1%. So there's this very broad-based growth in retail investing, and, uh, and that, that is a, it's a long-term trend. So it's not, it's not just what's happening right now. It's really what's been happening over quite a while. So, so Tim, you know, you, I, I mean, I'm not that old, right? But by, I am in, I'm a middle-aged man. I, I remember early on in my investing career, having all of those mailings, right? The proxy voting procedures, you know, I have to send these things back again. There was a prepaid stamped envelope on there for for you to send things back. There was not a lot of retail participation at all at that level. We relied on the mutual fund managers that managed our money to kind of make those votes and everything else. Do you feel as though the times have shifted a bit? Do you think that folks like you, I, others, have their individual voices heard more as shareholders than we have in the decades past? Yeah, I think that is a real opportunity and, and for your listeners to think like owners versus, uh, you know, be a trader, but be an owner too. And it's interesting when you mentioned the paper side of that, because, uh, you know, one of the things that we worked with our clients to is really increase the digital aspect of it. This past year, 86% of all the activity was digital, 97% of the votes were returned electronically. And one of the things we did for investors was, uh, upgrade our proxy vote app right on the phone. You can vote with one click. 
You can set preferences to be alerted for uh, topics that you might be interested in, in terms uh, if there's a proposal related to one of the companies you own. So it really is making it easier for retail investors to get engaged. And Tim, before we let you go, one of the things you mentioned, the app and, and technology being a big driver of having shareholder voices heard. What do you envision that shareholder voice looking like in the next five or 10 years? Is it more active or does it kind of get drowned out by the fact that people use ETFs more than they ever have in the past? You know, I think, uh, you know, the mix between funds and, and individual uh, stock picking, it's, it's, I think it's going to be tension back and forth. And what you see is when everything goes to passive, then that creates more ability to have alpha through active management. But if we take a sort of a five-year view, I think what we really are saying we do, because we get all these positions and we really have great insight into who the investors are, we're really beginning to see that shift of the assets from the so-called silent generation to younger investors, uh, smaller accounts. And you can really see that in, and that, that sort of $30 trillion that we've been talking about probably for 10 years, you're really beginning to see it move, which I think is empowering new investors in the market. All right. Tim Goki, CEO of Broadridge Financial. Thank you very much, sir. Have a nice weekend. Thank you, Dominic. All right. We're just getting started here on this CNBC special report. Cryptocurrencies have been a mainstay of the meme movement in many ways. We are going to take a closer look at the rise and fall of some of the Internet's favorite tokens and coins. And the next big meme name, we are finding out what Main Street has on its radar right now as the possible next GameStop or AMC or Bed Bath & Beyond. Keep it right here. The CNBC special report continues after this break. Welcome back. Crypto has become one of the most notable investments for the retail trader. But with heightened volatility, is Main Street giving up on that entire cohort? Let's now bring in our own Kate Rooney to set us up here. And Kate, I wonder, cryptocurrencies, are they still a big part of this retail market? Well, Dom, they might not be giving up altogether, but they're definitely slowing down. Crypto's bear market has been a test for some of the newer investors. There has been a slowdown in trading volume as Bitcoin prices dropped and lately a lot less interest in those crypto-related stocks. According to Vanda Research, net inflows to crypto proxies, either equities or ETFs, has been, quote, subdued relative to what we saw earlier this year. This chart here looks at the 10-day average. You can see that spike back in March and a pretty steep drop since. Of that group, Tesla, by far the most bought name. Uh, This is since July, and it holds some crypto on its balance sheet, but also, of course, an EV play, followed by Block, formerly Square, Coinbase, Marathon Digital, ProShares Bitcoin ETF, BITO, and MicroStrategy. But Dom, what about Bitcoin itself? It can be kind of hard to get an exact read on retail trading in crypto. You can't always track it on the Bitcoin's blockchain, which acts as a public ledger. A lot of that activity actually happens on exchanges. But if you use Coinbase, the biggest U.S. exchange as a proxy, activity is also slowing. Coinbase reported results this week and noted a 30% drop in trading volume, also warned of another slow quarter in Q3. And according to CoinGecko, which tracks this all in real time, Coinbase has seen about $1.6 billion in trading volume. For some context, it was above $13 billion back in November, which was also when Bitcoin hit its all-time high. You can also measure retail activity by smaller Bitcoin purchases. So anything below $1,000 tends to indicate individual buyers. This chart from Coinmetrics and Genesis 
showing that activity. It hit a low in July, but it is rebounding a little bit. Retail investors, Dom, are seen as key to a crypto market recovery. They're really a hallmark of some of the prior bull markets, and some analysts read the lack of retail interest as a roadblock right now to Bitcoin's rebound. But traders may be getting a little more optimistic. If you look at something called the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index, it was at extreme fear levels just last month, but it's now at fear levels, so rebounding to a 41 out of 100, which is a lot better than the score of 15 about a month ago. All right. So so this is interesting. This this is a great way to kind of bring in our next conversation. Kate Rooney, thank you very much for the update there on what's happening with crypto and the exchanges. Well, you can't deny the comeback, at least that we've seen in certain parts of the crypto market. Check out this Bitcoin over the course of the past month, fighting hard to make some kind of a recovery after what's been, as Kate points out, a very volatile summer, certainly from the highs that we saw last November. So here to help us dig deeper into Bitcoin's recent strength and how it kind of plays into the overall meme stock narrative and that story is Espresso Systems co-founder Jill Gunter, also Mark Yusko, Morgan Creek Capital Management Chief Executive Officer. Uh, Jill and Mark, thank you guys very much both for being here. Jill, perhaps I'll start with you. You know, Kate's report kind of points out just what we kind of intuitively feel, right? That since Bitcoin has come off those highs significantly, the interest has also dried up. So is it now truly still part of this kind of retail trading landscape, so to speak? It absolutely is. And, you know, this is very much expected to those of us who've been through these highs and lows in crypto markets and in Bitcoin specifically before. You know, as as it goes higher, retail interest waxes and, and as it goes lower, it wanes. And and it's as much a uh, follower of the price trend as it is a driver of it. And so it's totally unsurprising to me that we're seeing this dynamic now. That doesn't mean that it's retreated from being a part of the landscape. Uh, retail has always been important to the crypto markets. Retail saw it first before the institutions uh, had the guts to get in and retail is going to stick around in it uh, through the highs and lows even as I say, uh, if it waxes and wanes. So, so I, and Mark, I mean, if you look at the retail side of things, uh, from your standpoint, they are certainly, as Jill points out, a big part of the story behind the rise and maybe even the, the fall of Bitcoin so far. From, from an institutional manager's standpoint, do you feel as though this is someplace that you still want to be, given what we've seen from a macro big picture narrative with inflation, with kind of like the Fed and, and, and its tightening regime, interest rates and everything else? Is this still someplace that retail should want to be? Yeah, absolutely, Dominic. This, this is an asset that every investor must have in their portfolio. It's, Bitcoin is the best performing asset over two years, over three years, over five years, over 10 years, and over the life of its existence, all 14 years. And you have to have some exposure in the portfolio. It's extremely volatile. Well, why is it so volatile? Volatility isn't your enemy. It is just an indication of uncertainty and disagreement over future prospects. And I think there are a lot of people who are maybe less educated about what Bitcoin is, what blockchain technology really is. And so when they see the price volatility, they run away, as Jill mentioned. And I think what we're seeing now is we were in crypto winter. Uh, I believe that ended the middle of June. We're in crypto spring. That'll be a volatile period with an upward bias. And then we'll go back to another crypto summer when the retail traders will flood in and, and buy at higher prices. One thing about this asset, is it is the best performing asset over all of those periods. Had you just put 1% in a portfolio 
you would have outperformed the 60-40 over the last five years by 250 basis points. But people are afraid of volatility. So we actually launched an ETF called CRYP, where we use cash to mitigate downside volatility in the drawdowns and then get fully invested in the spring and summer periods like we're in today. So it's interesting, uh, Jill. I mean, uh, we've just got a few moments left here. I wonder, the, the bit, I mean, you are both obviously very bullish on the crypto story and everything else with regard to the retail trader involvement. Uh, oh, Jill, I want to give you the last word here. It can't all be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, though. What's the biggest fear that crypto investors should have as you approach kind of like this crypto winter that we've seen and, and what could ultimately be the end of the year? Look, yeah, as we go into crypto spring, uh, as Mark called it, we're going to continue to see choppiness. I would be aware of uh, the long tail of altcoins and assets that might have less liquidity, that might have long uh, institutional investor lockups that are coming undone. So keep an eye on those dynamics in specific single name cryptocurrencies and coins. But more broadly than that, the regulatory landscape. You know, just this week, we've seen the Treasury sanction uh, the Treasury Department and, and OFAC sanction actual code, smart contract code. This is something that has never happened before. They've only ever sanctioned individuals and entities. That's both a sign that crypto is being taken seriously on the world stage, but is also something that everyone should be paying very close attention to. The SEC is not the only game in town that we need to be looking at in terms of the risks posed on a very existential level uh, to cryptocurrency and, frankly, a lot of what it stands for in terms of our rights and privacy as well. All right. Jill Gunter, Mark Yusko, thank you folks very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Now, we are just just past the bottom of the hour. Let's check in where we ended on Wall Street for the week. The Dow, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq, as you can see there, surging higher. The Dow closing up more than 400 points. The Nasdaq and S&P clinching their fourth straight positive week. So a big upside for the bulls there, at least for this week. Up next on the show, we'll get a trader's take on those names. So don't go anywhere. The CNBC special report return of the retail trader continues after this break. Coming up, is the next big meme stock already in your portfolio? Find out next. Plus, Jim Cramer's latest take on some retail investor favorites. And Rob from the rich, and then be named in a class action lawsuit? The Lessons of Loxley, next. Welcome back to this CNBC special, The Return of the Retail Trader. Retail trading activity has clearly been picking up in recent weeks. We are still well off those peak 2021 levels, the glory days, so to speak, for those so-called apes but there seems to be new life in this particular space. So what's driving the resurgence and where are we seeing the most activity? Let's dig into the story with Susquehanna's co-head of derivatives trading, Chris Murphy. Chris, I mean, we talk often and we tilt towards the option side of things because that's what you watch. What is the options market telling you about this resurgence of the retail trader? Hey, Dom. Yeah, like you said, uh, we're seeing that same footprint. Definitely not as much as we saw in 2021, but the exact same style. Now, you're going to see the option trading typically following the momentum or chasing the momentum more so than being a catalyst, a very short term. And the reality is we haven't seen a lot of upside momentum this year. We finally had some upside momentum for the last couple of weeks, uh, and we're seeing that familiar footprint just in smaller size so far. Now, if you look at, I mean, we talk sometimes about 
options skew, right? This idea, you look at kind of similar upside and downside, put options and call options, and then you kind of see what the price difference is between the two. Where are they paying more for, upside protection or downside protection? When it comes to these meme names, is the predominant activity towards retail traders going towards call options, betting on the upside, so to speak? Yeah, it's betting on the upside, and it's very short-term. You know, you're talking the first week or two. Um, uh, it's about 80% of that volume is opened and closed in the same day. Um, when it's that near-term, it's certainly going to have a little bit of an impact um, on the real near-term skew. Um, but like I said, it's being bought and sold in the same day. Um, so there's not like a daily buying that just continues to move skew up. It's it's really two-way. It's very short-term. So we've been talking a lot about Bed Bath & Beyond, GameStop, and AMC for obvious reasons, given the massive price movements we've seen. Are you seeing any more notable activity, maybe outside of those three names and other parts of the market, established or not, that indicate that they could be maybe the next target in terms of upside potential? Yeah, you know, one sector that over the last couple of weeks has really been outperforming because it was hit so hard is the biotech sector. Uh, so uh, Invite, NVTA, uh, that's been a big focus this week. It was up 20% today. Um, people are starting to look, uh, our traders are starting to look at uh, DNA a little bit, uh, G-E-N-E. And, you know, there's obviously stock-specific reasons to look at these certain biotech stocks. But it's also just a product of the upside momentum. That sector has been the strongest uh, sector to the upside over the last couple of weeks. And where that momentum is, that's where the momentum chasing trade will go. All right. Chris Murphy at Susquehanna, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. Many retail investors trying to predict the next target of some of these wild short squeezes, as we just mentioned there. Our next guest has his finger on the pulse of the Wall Street Bets discussion boards and forums the place where this whole craze kind of began back in late 2020, early 2021. Let's bring in James Kardatsky, CEO of Quiver Quantitative. James, we bring you on here because you're an expert in dissecting the data that shows where people's interests lie. So what is that data telling you? Are we seeing a true resurgence? Could this become 2021 or are we still in the early innings? Yeah, I mean, I think to be honest, we're already starting to see a lot of the same patterns we saw at the start of 2021. Uh, you know, with retail investors really piling into a number of highly shorted stocks, um, you know, the discussion activity has really started to see a resurgence, whereas over the last year or so, it had been on a pretty steady decline since, you know, the meme craze back in February of 2021. Uh, it's really starting to pick back up specifically around Bed Bath & Beyond in particular over the last couple of days. So this is also very much about kind of the the magnetic kind of personality, so to speak, of some of these stocks, as you mentioned, a lot more attention being paid to certain names. What are the discussion boards? What, what is the data showing in terms of whether or not there are other possible future meme stocks that are outside those OG names like GameStop, AMC, and, and you know, Bed Bath & Beyond? Yeah, to be honest, one of the things that I think has been really fascinating for me personally over the last year is that you know, there's really been, I think, a really strong community built around some of these names where what you'll find is that people aren't just, you know, actively involved in the stock market or really passionate about the stock market. They're really passionate about a specific ticker, a specific company where, you know, there's many communities formed around GameStop, around AMC, where it's literally the only stock that these people care about. For a lot of them, they're, you know, all in on a specific company. 
And that's really, you know, been reflected, I think, in some of the trends we've seen among the discussion on Wall Street Bets and some of these other forums, where a lot of the discussion right now is like in the same stocks that people were talking about back in 2021. Like obviously GameStop was huge back then. AMC was huge back then. But even a company like Bed Bath & Beyond was one of the ones that received a lot of discussion, uh, you know, this time a year ago. So I think what's been really interesting is that it's not so much where every week there's a new meme stock or a new company people are talking about, but really there's like really strong communities coalescing around the same sort of names. And um, that's, I think, what we've been seeing lately as well. All right. James Kardaski at Quiver Quantitative. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Coming up on the show, we're tackling all your most pressing questions around some of these major meme names like James just pointed out. Plus, what one early Wall Street Bets investor wants to warn you about when the CNBC special Return of the Retail Investor continues. Welcome back to the CNBC special return of the retail investor. Our own Jim Cramer may not be hosting this hour tonight, but he never takes a day off from the markets. We know this. Here's Cramer's take on the recent action in those meme stocks. There are always people who want to circle back to these meme stocks. And here I'm thinking about, it's a Bed Bath & Beyond, a GameStop, AMC. And what I'm saying is what I used to say at college, which is called each tub on its own bottom. Don't link them. All right. So let's take them one by one. AMC is run by the brilliant Adam Aaron. He's figured out a way to be able to generate good cash flow. He's done a lot of things on the backs of the memes by selling a lot of stock, and that's fine. GameStop did that, too. But the fact is, is that that business, the the movie business, has come back much harder uh, after COVID than before. So actually, Adam has a good story to tell, and I think he tells it very well. Bed Bath & Beyond, on the other hand, is in tatters. It doesn't have a good balance sheet anymore. It actually wrecked its balance sheet. It's got minus 27% same-store sales. And when you've done that, in the history of the big companies that I've dealt with in retail, and don't forget, my mom worked at Litz, which went under, and my dad worked at, worked at Gimbel's, which went under, is that what happens is when you get those kinds of bad numbers, they tend not to be able to make it. I want, I want Bed Bath to, to make it. I really, really do. Uh, but that isn't a reason to own a stock. That's just a reason to be uh, rooting for nice people that you don't want to be thrown out of work. Uh, GameStop's the trickiest of all because GameStop's not really a stock anymore. It's a coal. Uh, there's a guy, mythical guy, Ryan Cohen. Always welcome on the show, Ryan. You know I love you. I say that completely sincerely because I am the most sincere man in North America. Actually, no, I'm the most sincerely insincere man in North America. That said, GameStop's a terrible business. Why? Because most of the companies that uh, used to go and sell their hard goods to GameStop now just downloaded. Almost all of Strauss Zelnick's take two is downloaded. But you know what? They operate under the fiction that they can fix the business. They have a not bad balance sheet because they sold a lot of stock. And that what they need to do is they need to call Mark Zuckerberg and say, look, the metaverse as you have it with Quest is very difficult. We'd like to be your sole representative for Quest. And we want to do it in a way that makes it so that the stores are really about you. See, if they did that, that would be a very interesting story. But the fact is, when you talk about meme, it means you talk craziness. And I don't like to talk craziness. All right. That was our own Jim Cramer, of course. Now, we've spent the entire hour here so far focusing on the retail investor. But now it's time to hear from a few of them themselves. Joining us now is Delano Sapporo, New Street Advisor, CEO, also CNBC contributor, uh, to answer some of your most burning questions. So, so Delano, let's let's get right up to it. Right. First, we have a question on a fintech player. Hey, it's Sonny from Chicago. 
My question is on SoFi. Now that SoFi's got their bank charter, does that make them more likely to be an acquisition target by a larger financial institution? All right, SoFi, one of those ne kind of current next-gen fintech companies out there. Delano, what do you think? Hey, Don, thanks for having me. I, I think it potentially could be, you know, uh, a target for an institution. If you look at all of the stock trades performance so far uh, year to date for fintech, obviously they've been really, really re-rated. And a lot of them look, you know, a lot more attractive to large institutions. Now, when you think specifically about SoFi, uh, the big thing for large institutions, what, they, what do they always want to have is uh, more assets on their balance sheet. They need to have uh, more, more, excuse me, more deposits. Um, and so if you're looking at what SoFi did, they grew a lot. Obviously, it's minuscule compared to larger institutions, but they grew their balance, their deposits a lot in the end of Q2 uh, 2022. So that's one thing that the, you know, an acquisition partner can look at. Also, if you're looking at SoFi, I think you want to focus in on what their ecosystem is. They offer a lot, a lot of products to their ecosystem and to their members. And I think that's also something that can be very attractive to a potential bidder. All right, so SoFi, attractive potential for M&A. Let's now get out to Jeremy in Florida. How will Tesla's plan of increasing their spending budget to as much as $8 billion affect the EV industry? That's a good question, Delano. EVs, a very hot topic for retail traders. Very hot topic, but I don't think not much. Um, if you look at what Tesla's doing, Elon Musk mentioned they're really, it's the factories, it's production, it's the cost of production that's kind of burning a hole in the pocket. Um, and if you look at the competition, especially the startups, they know that they need cash, and cash is hard to find in this current environment. So um, it's just a warning signal to, to the competitors that you're going to have to raise cash. We have cash. We have infrastructure. Tesla does have the infrastructure and factories that are working. But even for them, there's still a struggle with supply chain. All right. Delano Sapporo at New Street. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you, Don. Coming up on the show, amateur investors took the stock market by storm. Why one of those early traders is issuing a stark warning when the CNBC special report on the retail trader continues. All right, channeling my Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again for many investors watching what's been happening with the meme names this week. Our next guest got involved in the Wall Street bets discussion during the first iteration of Meme Stock Mania, and she wants to warn those involved that this time around, they shouldn't make the same mistakes she did. Let's bring in Alicia Woods to tell us more about the lessons she learned. Alicia. Hi, thank you for having me. So I, I wonder the mistakes, how bad were they and how did you recover? Uh, have I recovered for me? Uh, any, I did lose. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not here to lie to you about it. Um, I'm in a documentary for MSNBC called diamond hands, which you can see on Peacock, Peacock TV. And it kind of goes into what happened. And for me, what happened then was a very particular moment and time in society. And what is happening now fully is not deja vu. So if you are going to play the game, which it is a game, have exit strategies. Get in, get out, take your money, go. Okay? It's it's just a different time and space. So Alicia, if you don't mind, I mean, you say kind of, you know, set those rules. What exactly do you do? What kind of tools do you use to make those rules executable? Okay, so the kicker is that it's happening right now when most of us went back to the workforce and we are not getting stimulus checks. So what happened last year, we were all at home and we had nothing to do. And Robinhood went from like, what, 200 to number one in the apps. 
So we had nothing to do but look at the ticker. Most of us have gone back to work. So if you are going to do it, you have to do it around the clock like it is a full-time job and figure out for you what is a profit. Uh, There's a guy named Jeff Amazon in the documentary, and he does technical analysis. And he literally wrote a paper on it. And at one point, he had $50,000 that went down to like $5,000. And he's like, what am I going to do? Then when the short actually happened... It went up to $50 million, but it went back down and he took an $8 million profit. So even the person who was brilliant enough to write the thesis did not hit the high, high, high. So if you're going to do it, figure out what is a profit to you. Now, we just got about 10 seconds left here. Alicia, Mm -hmm. would you do it again? Hey, personally, I'm doing the crypto game and I'm doing long term. I think it's a a once-in-a-lifetime creation of an asset class that will reduce the wealth gap. So that's the game that I'm planning that I urge minorities and women to do. All right. Alicia, thank you very much. We appreciate the thoughts. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for watching. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.